This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Natasha Race, who is a co-founder of the Australian Mental Health Alliance and who has a ton of experience in successfully setting up and operating private practices for mental health care. Natasha has some inspiring ideas on being innovative in as well as building healthcare communities around a private practice to generate continued referrals whilst also improving the client journey. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Tash, how are you today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining me today. Um, I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you because of the uh, work that you do, particularly in the mental health sector, in uh, coaching and supporting private practice owners. So um, I want to break that open a little bit because you're involved in a couple of things and it'd be great to hear it from you. What are you doing with yourself these days? Oh, lots of little things, lots of big things. Um, so one of the things is the Australian Mental Health Alliance, which is a huge aspect of impact that we want to have in the mental health field. This alliance is really about leaning in, understanding the client journey and having the right tools that you need as a practitioner in private practice. So it's not specialized in terms of psychologists only or social workers only. We're really looking at all mental health professionals in private practice to really drive home innovation, which is what you're doing as well, uh, but also workflow processes to make their lives easier, really good clinical governance and tools that really make life easy in private practice because it's not always easy. I think that word innovation, obviously, you know how much that resonates with me. It's a kind of a misunderstood term in that um, it tends to be magnified through news and media as, you know, being, um, you know, launching yourself into space or, you know, having some sort of amazing technology. But innovation actually is very achievable for most people. I remember uh, reading about the definition of innovation. Um, I'm a bit of a geek, as uh, as you probably know. I read a lot. But the OECD describes it as being, um, you know, you can innovate your marketing. You can innovate mm-hmm. processes within your business. You can innovate even pricing models. Yeah. So innovation is not this out-of-reach concept. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, um, having that kind of role in the industry is really important it's to make it tangible and achievable so people can relate to it. Why do health practices need to get supported to be able to innovate or perhaps run their businesses better? Well, I think some aspects when you hear innovation is fear. You know, there's, you know, you think AI immediately, you know, you're kind of thinking, all right, well, somebody else has to do this, which means I have to cut back on my staff or I don't understand the rules and regulations to be able to implement technology. And there's just sort of this barrier um, that comes around fear, really, um, I think, with innovation. And, you know, I think like you were saying, innovation is actually really just how you're doing something different and ways that you're setting yourself aside from everyone else. You know, I was just Googling some innovation in customer service and some of the simple things people are doing are, you know, recording their FAQs so people can see the employees within the organization answering the questions. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, how easy is that? You don't have to have any money. You don't have to know anything. Everybody is using their video camera on their phone. (laughs) So it's nothing new to learn and that's innovation. So I think pairing it back and really removing the fear to be able to say innovation is actually as simple as recording a video. That's a great example. And it really brings it into a much more day-to-day accessible uh, point of view. And I guess that's where technology is um, inspirational, you know, to be able mm. to exploit that type of functionality. I kind of think that um, when you look at healthcare from the point of view of a customer or a consumer, mm. which we all are, you say to yourself, you know, from a distance, how am I going to differentiate a mm. health practitioner? And, uh, you know, because from a distance, there's a title, it's a psychologist, for example. Mm. And then it's, okay, well, you know, I look up psychologists and I find many psychologists. So how then do I differentiate? And, you know, I'm starting to think that the differentiation is actually you. It's that each of us has a personality and we have um, an energy about us and a rapport. And so personal branding seems to be a really obvious innovation for a lot of private practice owners and their teams to focus on. And I think the other uh, unique selling point for mental health and all health providers for that matter is your location. What do you say about that? You know, does that resonate with you in terms of what you're doing out there? Yeah, I think talking about branding, I think, you know, I started working in the mental health field 15 years ago. So it was a very different field back then. And, you know, as different things start to evolve, private practice was one of those things that sort of just sat in the background while GPs and hospitals continue to move forward. And I think you're probably finding this to be the same where, you know, mainstream healthcare are innovating. They, they've been using telehealth for over 15 years now. And, you know, the topic of using telehealth right now in private practice in any allied healthcare setting is really new. It's only, what, four or five years, maybe six years old. And there's still regulations that need to be put into place, you know, in terms of what we should be using for teleconferencing and things like that. But at the end of the day, allied healthcare professionals have always sort of been on the sort of the peripheral of moving forward with innovation. And we are finding that a lot of people are doing personal branding. I absolutely love it. But, you know, 15 years ago, there was such a professionalism. People were going in with their suits and ties, their notebook and their pen and sitting there in their really posh professional office. And, you know, that was when especially mental health, was only accessible to the really, really wealthy in the private sector. And now, especially in Australia, there's funding with your private health and Medicare that allows you to really access a sampling of what mental health or what psychology and therapy is. And so lots of practitioners are really saying, hold on, I can be myself in private practice. And so that personal branding comes out where they're saying, you know what, I want to dress differently. I want to have my website look different. I want my clients to be able to, you know, pick and choose what part of the journey they take charge of. And so I think that's really, really amazing. I just love that whole aspect of seeing the personality of the clinician before you even come in and and sit down with them. It seems really obvious for me. And I guess it's that mindset shift to be able to say, you know what, I am going to put my face out there and yeah. I am going to be a part of my local community. And because yeah. that local community is um, associated with your location. So if you have a uh, practice in South Melbourne, for example, then that's a local community. And uh, it's not just potential clients that need help and support with right. their, uh, uh, their health care. But there are Mm -hmm. other practitioners in the local community as Mm -hmm. well who are not doing what you're doing. 
But when they become right. aware of you being there, that That's can right. be a really powerful network mm-hmm. to either mm-hmm. see it as a referral source or potentially mm-hmm. as a collaborative approach to supporting a, a shared client. Do you yes. see that kind of thing happening out there? Yeah, I see it in bits and pieces. I think when you move into private practice, um, there's a competitiveness that comes into play and everyone kind of feels as though they need to put up their silos. And I get this a lot as well because I consult with um, practices all over the country. And so oftentimes people will say to me, will you consult with a practice next door to me? You know, and my answer is always yes. And they're kind of like, whoa, why? And I'm like, because if you haven't met the practice beside you, then you need me. (laughs) You need to be leaning in. You need to be understanding that just because your title, like you mentioned earlier, is the same psychologist or mental health clinician or whatever it might be, doesn't mean you want the same things. Your end game isn't always the same. One of the first things I do, and people will say, why do you ask us to do this? All of our clients fill out a form. We want to know three psychologists in their areas and if they've met with them. Because one of the things we like for them to do is go and have coffee with them. <laughs> you know, like That's it's really idea. great. To <laughs> yeah. It's a great idea. I, I love coffee, but there's so much that can come out of just sharing uh, and empathizing with, um, with life as a health practitioner and um, being able to support each other through that as well. Sometimes, though, clinicians will go in and they'll only work with other clinicians. Now, neither of us, you or me, are clinicians. And yet um, we were sort of talking about every time I think we we meet up, we talk about the fact that we're not clinicians. And yet we have a lot to offer. And so having outside ideas to come in and really drive different creative knowledge is really, really powerful. And sometimes do you find clinicians will sort of say, oh, hold on one second, this isn't what I've been taught or this wasn't what, you know, a psychologist friend of mine is doing. And so there's some of those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. I know from my point of view, uh, I was raised in a, in a small business family. So, you know, I kind of worked out really early in my life, you know, how challenging it was to be trading your time for money. Mm. And the way my parents used to do it is we would work seven days a week. So, um, it was a great incentive to go to school, let me tell you. But it was it was hard work and it sort of it, it taught me the basics um, in business and um, from a real lived type of experience standpoint. But it also taught me, you know, the, the pitfalls that you can get into. And, I, you know, I went on and studied um, business at university and went into the corporate sector and um, got exposed to technology. And as we talk, I come at it from a um, – definitely from a, a business analysis standpoint and mm-hmm. – um, you know, that intersection between health tech and the workflows of people and how they work with each other between a service provider and a client and what have you. So um, I think definitely there's a lot to offer because with that, I'm not necessarily as constrained by attitudes or belief systems of what a clinician would think mm-hmm. were the boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, I can push the boundaries. I can, I can look mm-hmm. outside the box and say, you know, how else can we do this? And that's that's a big inspiration for reimagining healthcare and uh, developing uh, Core Plus and the Health Tech X um, community. I think definitely um, there's, uh, you know, there's supervision in a clinical context. So yeah. there's plenty of clinical support, but I think what we need also is to enhance the view and say, look, you can't really deliver care when you're struggling with your cash flow um, or, you know, you've got staff turnover every other day or you're dealing with um, late lodgements with your BAS or you're not staying up to date with your compliance. The reality is that healthcare operates business. 
So mm. getting better at operating business seems like a no-brainer. So I'm interested in, uh, you know, you've used the term uh, leaning in, mm. you know, a number of times just in this discussion and uh, I know uh, through your consulting services that's an important part. Mm. What do you talk to your clients about, you know, in, in that context? What does the leaning in model mean for you? I think leaning in is really just understand like the fear of unknown you know I think most of the things I've ever done in my life I've done out of fear you know people look at me and say oh you're really brave and I'm like no 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 (laughs) I'm motivated by fear I don't want to be afraid of things you know so if I uncover my eyes and I look at something and I really understand it then I no longer fear it because I I know it and so I don't want my clinicians to be afraid of other clinicians even though, you know, I mean, the way the model is set up right now is anyone that graduates, you know, with a master's can hang a shingle almost immediately in private practice and therefore get reimbursements from Medicare. So they don't need a lot of experience going into private practice. And it's very different in the United States. And so that's something I've had to wrap my head around. But here, you know, when we're talking about leaning in, it's really about, okay, yes, you've got another psychologist, but what's their experience? What's their ideal client? How are they different than you, but how are they the same? And so I really, really want each practice to be able to understand when we're building business plans, that they're very different. You know, some people are focusing on innovation, you know, and some people are really just focusing on a training platform for new psychologists, whereas others want to conquer the world and go international, (laughs) you know. So even though you're both psychologists, you go back to that title, everyone's business looks very, very different. And one of the things um, we want to be able to get people to focus on is just understanding current workflow processes that they have and how are you doing it that someone else might be doing it a little bit better or worse. And so you can kind of validate what you're doing just by understanding leaning in. But it's not just with one psychologist to another psychologist. You know, when we talk about marketing and going out and meeting your referral sources, you know, we, you, there's the standard procedures of taking GP lunches and having a conversation in that. I'm like, no, 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 no. You take the GP to coffee, get them to lunch, you know, really get to know them on a personal level. Find them on the football field with your kids playing soccer or something, <laughs> you know, have some conversations, get people to like you. That is such an innovative approach to building those relationships and networks. I love that. And I know that's a big part of um, your consulting as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got a really positive take on local area marketing, which um, mm-hmm. which I love. That's how I relate to when you talk about that local area marketing and you talk about mm-hmm. building those relationships, you're focusing the practice owner and, um, and the team on stitching themselves into the fabric of that mm-hmm. local community mm-hmm. and being known for it because um, word of mouth is um, it's innate in human yeah. beings. I mean, how many times do you go to a social gathering and, um, and somebody raises, for example, you know, hey, I got some, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, household insurance the other day and and how many opinions do you get out of that where, you know, or I'm looking into something and everybody would go, oh, no, you've got to use this and you've got to use that. And and that's and that's kind of how we work as human beings. We, mm-hmm. we like to um, support our own decision making, you know, things that we've decided upon in the past. We've always got a good idea to offer one of our friends or family and what they should do. So why is that going to be any different to our neighbours within our local community who see you as the expert in that particular area? People don't have to use your service to appreciate what service you're offering. So if they know you and they like you, they're automatically going to talk about 
what you're doing in, in terms of recommending it. So, and because you're passionate about the work that you're doing, you're going to be talking about the work. And so everyone's going to really fully understand the type of work you're doing. And because they like you, they're going to send you referrals. It's just a natural way of, you know, sort of that energy, you know, people get excited about energy, even introverts <laughs> get excited about energy. And so they're going to hear what, you know, a peripheral conversation or, you know, and start to ask questions. And then you get excited, they get excited. And then it's just, everybody now knows you as the local psychologist, you know, so. <laughs> I think it's really powerful. And yeah. I think it's a lost art because um, I think it, it used to be that way, but then cities grew and mm-hmm. populations grew and we became quite dense and, you know, we had to use commute and, you know, everybody became a bit more isolated and, and what mm-hmm. have you. And yet it's almost like a secret power that if you can concentrate on that and build those local communities, mm-hmm. then they're going to reciprocate. I mean, it's a two-way street, you know, um, you need to mm-hmm. give to get, you know, your sort of your providing referrals elsewhere that are outside mm-hmm. of your, you know, your target mm-hmm. area of uh, services and, mm-hmm. um, and it's reciprocated back, you know, so... Mm-hmm. It's kind of not a uh, revelation. It's not a. It's not a radical mm-hmm. idea. It's just um, people connecting with people and working with each other and helping mm-hmm. each other. Because I think we all innately want to do that. And so I think mm-hmm. that could be a really powerful idea to, or, mm-hmm. or you know, to shift that attitude that you describe, modify the belief system, and say yes, it's possible. And not only is it possible, but hey, I like coffee and yeah. I like meeting people. So let me just yeah. sit down and meet some people and tell my story, and uh, and they'll tell me theirs, and then we're starting yeah. to build a relationship. That's fantastic. And are you finding finding a lot of success with your clients on uh, working that type of strategy? I think it's hit and miss sometimes, to be quite honest, because not everyone likes to meet people. And that's the thing. Or people, and this is where innovation comes into play. And I actually use this uh, with my clients. but, But they say, I don't have time. You know, I'm coming into the business. I'm running my business. I'm going home. I'm doing more on the business. I'm balancing, you know, being a parent and my social life and, you know, being in a relationship. I have all these things I have to balance. I don't have time to go and make small talk <laughs> with another psychologist down the way or, you know, ask the local GP, you know, at a football field what shoes his son is wearing, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't have time for, you know, spending authentic time with people, then you have to pay for it. (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to be paying for SEO and AdWords and, you know, your website development and marketing. Whereas if you do some in your spare time, but also if you innovate, if you're, if you're using the technology that your practice management software has, or you're thinking about outside the box about what you, what other systems you can be using to innovate, you won't be working when you get home. You'll be able to write your client notes within your session. You won't have to be thinking about, you know, your best because you've assigned that to your, your accountant or your bookkeeper, you know, so it's really about using the resources that you can have available and planning financially to, to be able to say, okay, this is how much money I need to be making in order to go and get a bookkeeper or a receptionist or, or use, you know, a new system or whatever it might be. One thing that I kind of advise on is that um, don't overdo it. You know, there's um, take it one step at a time. You know, it, there's so many tools in the market at the moment and there will continue to be because mm. it's just the nature of, you know, we're, we're into the, we're, we're past the whole internet revolution. You know, there's this fascinating proliferation of ideas and technology and it's going exponential. Yeah. So um, not every mm-hmm. idea is a good idea and not every idea is going to work for you. But I think when you, um, when you establish this kind of recurring pattern of manual activity, mm-hmm. then that potentially is an opportunity. I call it an activity burner. 
So if that's using up a lot of your time mm-hmm. and there's a tool within the PMS, for example, that you could use or um, potentially you can add something on that um, allows you to automate or semi-automate that, then you get a mm-hmm. massive time saving mm-hmm. and you're able to shift your energy away from doing the repetitive manual task to now mm-hmm. moving it into a more stimulating, creative, innovative mindset around other mm-hmm. things that you can then reform and you start working mm-hmm. on the business. Do you get that uh, mindset out in the community? My analogy of that, when people say that they're so busy that they're tired and they can't even think about anything else because innovation takes, like you said, creativity and really sitting down and thinking, okay, what does this look like? Planning and implementation and all of that. And so when they tell me that they're too exhausted and I say, okay, are you a dog chasing your tail exhausted or are you a dog winning a marathon exhausted? (laughs) Are you going somewhere with that exhaustion or are you just sort of running around in circles until you're too tired to do anything else? So that's sort of my same analogy that I use. Oh, I think it's a really good analogy. And um, yeah. I just want to pick up a little bit on that local area marketing because um, I think there's a lot of copying that happens in uh, private practice where, you know, there's kind of just because uh, they do it, I should do it. And I think there's um, there's kind of this idea that, um, well, everybody's advertising on Google, so yeah. I should advertise on Google. Yes. And I think that is probably a good idea to have as an arrow in the quiver. But I would argue it's not your dominant strategy because (laughs) it's expensive and um, I think it's nice to have it as a safety net. Like it would be nice to get clients out of Google to um, support growth in the practice. But I think delivering a good continuity of care and clinical care, both directly in the service that you provide and how you um, integrate yourself with other healthcare providers in the long run is going to build a referral system around you and not just from, for example, a GP referring to you because Mm -hmm. they they know you're there and they trust you and they're able to actually electronically connect with you, but also from clients who have just been so satisfied with the outcomes they receive that they refer their friends to you. Tell me more about that local area marketing mindset that you've got because I think I think you've actually really well differentiated in that area. I want to make sure you get that story out there because I think it's really important. Well, we actually, we get a lot of clients contacting us saying they need new referrals. So in fact, just this morning, I opened up an email from um, somebody who's become a founding member of um, an online course that we're doing. And the first thing he said to me in the email was, can you get me new referrals? Can you help me get new referrals? And so regardless of the size of practice, so many people are driven to say, I need new referrals. I need new referrals. And it's really hard to shift their thinking into saying, do you actually need new referrals? You know, they look at their books and they're saying, yep, you know, it's not all pink or it's not all green. It's not full. So I need new referrals. So one of the first things, and this takes a while to really get this shift happening, but I actually look and say, let's assess what practice wastage we might have here. So how many clients do you have on your books? How many clients should be recalled into therapy? How many clients should be closed? And so this, again, falls right back into understanding how to use your practice management software, because if you're not using it properly, it takes a long time to clean that up so that you can have accurate baseline analytics to be able to drive what we're doing forward. But one of the main things I sit down with people and we build a client journey, what, what does it look like for your client to go from the start to end of therapy? You know, how do we make sure that if the client is experiencing a normal component of therapy, I'm feeling good, I don't need therapy anymore, I'm feeling bad, 
I don't want to come in and see you anymore. How do we build boundaries around those types of things so that we're recalling the client and we're re-engaging when we need to be re-engaging? So for us, it's really more about the client journey. How do we make sure that the client's engaged and committed to coming into therapy and then making sure that we take care of those clients first? And a lot of times you'll find, especially in larger practices where they have, you know, a number of clinicians and a lot of referrals coming in, that they don't need to put new clients in with their existing clinicians because their existing clinicians really just need to finish the client journey with their existing clients. You know, a really good example of this is a practice we were working with and the psychologist saying, we need more referrals for this one particular psychologist. And I'm like, great, great. Okay, well, let's take a look at how many clients she has on her books. And he's like, why? I'm like, well, she's only available five hours a week. You know, <laughs> like even if she's seeing her clients fortnightly, <laughs> she's really only going to need about, you know, 10 to 15 clients active in her caseload. We went into Core Plus, ran the, ran the numbers, and she actually had 25 or 30 clients or something on her caseload. And I said, well, what are you doing in supervision to help her support getting these clients coming back in, not falling off, falling through the cracks, forgetting about therapy, going online, Googling for another psychologist <laughs> when they're ready for services. Yeah, He was like, oh, okay, I totally understand. I totally understand. He would have spent, you know, thousands on Google AdWords. And so the goal with him was to decrease that and just work on the existing clients in the practice. That's got so many um, threads there to unpack, you know, because I think <laughs> that's kind of the crux of it from the point of view of digital health. Um, obviously, you know, Core Plus has spent a lot of uh, time, money and effort developing a um, digital health uh, interoperability framework. And the language sometimes intimidates people. It's, it's sort of like, you know, what the heck is interoperability? <laughs> but when you think about it, here's, here's, a, here's a really pragmatic way of understanding it because as you pointed out there that on the one hand, when you have a core system and uh, you're only using 5 or 10% of it, you're not fully exploiting the innovation productivity that's already within it. And it's actually, there's a, there's a set of guidelines there that if you embrace it, that will actually help you um, train and develop your, your team yep. to be able to repeat those productivity behaviours, which yep. support the clinical continuity, which drives the revenue, which drives the success of the practice from a financial standpoint. And so yep. you, can, you can link the key behaviours that are needed to be able mm -hmm. to support um, being a successful private practice and also a successful practitioner. So you're actually yeah. delivering good outcomes for your client, yeah. positive outcomes that they um, ideally are raving fans about and they're able mm -hmm. to actually refer other people to you. Yeah. But that step before, you know, where you have somebody who disengages from the uh, healthcare services and then mm -hmm. where do they go? And uh, if they go to Google, you're forced basically into that model of um, continuing to spend, as you say, thousands of dollars to try and make yourself mm -hmm. available uh, in the mm -hmm. right time at right place. And you don't have a lot of control over that, but you do have control over your care and the way that you deliver services to the client. Yeah. But the other thing that a client is doing before they meet you or uh, even when they're looking for an alternative is they go to another health practitioner. And in the context of things like mental health plans and what have you, they're likely to go to a GP and just think about it from the point of view of the client experience when the GP is looking you up, finding you through the digital health framework, selecting you, adding the healthcare information to that referral, transmitting it off to your practice, you know, via the digital health framework within uh, Core Plus, you are then able to receive this referral mm -hmm. 
And the, and the client experience is that a trusted advisor is now sending them to you. They don't have to look up Google. They don't have to think about where am I going to go. So it's, they're already um, feeling much more, uh, let's say, assured and confident yeah. that the healthcare yeah. system is working yeah. for them and in their interests. If there's a cooperation going on from these different points of care, you use the term journey uh, earlier in the piece and I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. The client journey is so much better than mm-hmm. here's a piece of paper, you mm-hmm. need to go find a X type of practitioner and uh, good luck with that, you know, and then, you know, the clients out there in the wild basically trying to sort it out for themselves. So there's, a, there's, there's such a better positive experience to be able to connect yourself into uh, a different network of uh, healthcare providers yeah. so that the client experience is positive. Now, I got referred to you, um, mm-hmm. so I trust that you are the right person for me to speak to. That's right. Right, and then your service then either builds on that or That's detracts right. from it. Do you see that kind of logic um, having a role to play going forward in in how private practice thinks about the way that it grows? A hundred percent, because not only is that client more likely going to attend their appointment, they're going to be a little bit more patient with human error. So, for example, if, you know, there's been an appointment booked and they've got an SMS for the wrong date and time or, you know, the reception team has, you know, made a mishap, but the relationship is still strong because their GP has made a referral into your practice. Whereas Google, you don't have that. You have to start from scratch. You're starting from behind that. If clients are finding you through marketing initiatives online, that relationship has to be very, very, very strong before some of those mishaps that happen in all private practices are acceptable. And the other aspect of it is, is if you've got this client that's engaging, when they disengage before you decide that they should have disengaged, sending a letter to the GP to say, hey, the client has disengaged. Let's have a conversation about this. Even if the client doesn't come back to you, you've now actually made it available to the client to say, hey, okay, yeah, trial and error is a part of the journey that you're going to experience. You're not going to like everyone that you're referred to, even with really great clinical skills. Um, and so therefore, your GP is going to say, this is part of the experience. Here's another you know, healthcare provider that might work for you, and this is why. And so you're keeping that client on their journey through the system. By just saying to the GP, hey, this isn't working for whatever reason, the clients discharge themselves, now it's your responsibility. And then you don't have to really think about it anymore. You've put the responsibility of care back onto the GP, which is where it should be sitting anyway, or is sitting with this current model using Medicare. So, you know, it's that two-way street of continuity of care. Absolutely. I think that's a really, really great point. And uh, I think it also helps with your brand in the GP's eyes as well, that um, you're somebody that they can work with. And there is that continuity and that handoff. And, you know, they're able to actually then um, do something about it, which could mean, you know, bringing that client back into the, um, the treatment plan. So I think that's really important. But I also see there's a massive transformation happening in healthcare at the moment through the NDIS. And, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of need for mental health care services. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some 460-odd thousand Australians who will need support under that scheme. And so the idea that um, referrals can now come from other sources is actually way more tangible than it's ever been, you know, because um, multidisciplinary health care providers, particularly the large uh, NDIS-registered providers, they're trying to mm-hmm. work through how uh, they assemble teams around mm-hmm. uh, participants. And so... 
you know, being able to use the digital health um, framework to be able to refer and join a practitioner uh, into a care plan that's um, associated with the NDIS um, recipient of services. That's another opportunity. I actually see that as a growing opportunity. And it goes back to what you're saying, and I love this um, message that you're sending out there of building those networks because if you're not out there, then there's only so much room in a browser to show up <laughs> as an AdWord or uh, as, a, as a clickable link. And nobody goes to page two or three. Well, it's rare, you know. Um, so I don't think that strategically is the right play. And the, and when you think about the total cost of ownership, you mentioned that, you know, 3000 or $2,000, spend from a client of yours. If you're only getting one new client a month, that's an incredibly expensive <laughs> client acquisition cost. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not going to recover funds on that from a, a lifetime value standpoint. No. So, you know, if you get 10, that averages down the cost. But that's <laughs> the idea, right? You're going to spend 3000 to yeah. get, you know, a number of new possible. clients to yeah, average down right. that cost, whereas... Um, if you've got a GP referring, depending on the system you use, but, you know, with Core Plus, we, um, we don't even charge for the uh, digital health interoperability. You know, it's sort of, it's a no cost referral yeah. from a trusted advisor to your client who has ushered them through the healthcare system to you. What That's an experience, right. you know, use the term client experience. I, I have coined the term, the digital healthcare experience. So I, I use the acronym HX. It, it just helps me keep my mindset straight on where we want to go with it. That to me is great from the Australian's point of view who is, who is interacting with the healthcare system and being nurtured through their journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very positive experience. It's a way more positive experience. And that sense of comfort and trust you get when somebody says, clinically, I'm sending you to this person right. or I'm adding this person into our team, mm-hmm. you know, to um, support you. That's, that's a really right. powerful idea and it's client-centric. And I yeah. think it, it really taps into that kind of engagement and you know, client experience idea that floats around in the community and everyone's sort of saying, how do I do it? What are your thoughts? I think that when you focus on the client experience, your byproduct is money. So if you're in business at all and you're thinking entirely about how to make the client's journey smooth and easy, if you're always focusing on how to move that client from point A to point B all the way to the end to point C, then you're going to be able to have the byproduct of money. And so I just genuinely believe (laughs) that when your focus is on the client, you know, and everything, you know, going to those, you know, the NDIS and a bunch of organizations put on breakfasts or, you know, networking groups and things like that. When you're going to those types of things in your own time, yes, they're at 730 in the morning and no one wakes up at 730 in the morning (laughs) going to something that early is, is, you know, taxing sometimes, but they're like once a month, you know, and not just that you're talking about how do you get, you know, a perfect example is an occupational therapist or speechy and ways to be able to say, okay, this is what my client needs, but we're also going to need a psychologist involved in this. And you don't have to raise your overheads by employing or contracting those types of clinicians when you don't have that space or the knowledge to be able to support them in your industry, whatever that might be. When you build a consortium or you have, uh, we have mastermind groups. So basically it's clinicians coming together to share ideas and go away and implement what they want to implement, but have really strategic, easy conversation with each other. And I think that's really important when you bring in other allied health professionals or other professionals into a mastermind and say, okay, I've got a client here that is, you know, looking for a psychologist. We don't have one that's we're networked with. Who do we use? 
And so you bring that person in. They don't need to be in your practice. They don't have to be any part of you. You just know that you can trust them with your client. I'm just going to recap because there's some really good things that you've uh, expressed today. Obviously, you've got a commitment to uh, helping your clients to deal with the attitudes and beliefs in terms of building out um, healthcare communities locally and um, Mm -hmm. joining into that, particularly around the local area marketing type concept. And I think that's a really important mindset shift to not just assume because Google can be paid some dollars to put up some ads that that's going to be the most effective return on investment for your hard-earned cash, you know, in your business. And especially when there's demand there in your local area, it just doesn't know you're there yet or it can't find a way electronically to get to you, you know, in terms of privacy yeah. and security and, um, and the e-referral framework. So you also talk about the client journey and I love this, by the way. This is really near and dear to my heart. It's what drives a lot of the innovation that we do at Core Plus and our associated projects around uh, the digital healthcare experience. So, you know, aligning the purpose, you know, with the why. Why is this client here? Let's get really client-centric. Let's really align with the outcomes they're looking for and um, we will deliver a great result and then they will, you know, express that back to the referral source or to their friends and family and that opens up the opportunity for more people to be referred to you. I guess the idea that it is healthcare, but it's also a business because it operates in a uh, framework of um, compliance and lodgements and cash flow. And, um, you know, mastering that is important as well because you don't want to fail as a business. It's going to be hard to help people when you're out of business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's an important part of understanding it. So my final question to you is uh, what's your view on how or what we should do to reimagine healthcare in Australia? Immediately, transparency comes to mind, you know, when we're thinking about informed decisions and understanding where we're going and knowing where we've come from and implementing things that we aren't quite sure about. Having transparency is probably the easiest, quickest way of reimagining healthcare because years ago, clients didn't have access to their medical records. Um, They weren't really quite sure what that was looking like in terms of being able to ask for it. But more importantly, you know, when we're looking at transparency, you can have informed decision making. So if you understand everything, a part of the journey, everything that's going on from the clinical world, the business world, the client aspect, you can then really make decisions that are going to impact you as a practice, you as an individual, you as a citizen in the community. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think transparency is probably, you know, the term, the easiest way for me to think about reimagining healthcare. And, you know, you guys are doing that, which is so impressive and just love speaking about the things that you're doing. Um, But, you know, the transparency that they don't need to go online and search because the GP has already supplied a name. And not only have they supplied a name and the mental health care plan, but they've already given it to the clinician. And the clinician's making the call to the client, you know, and the client understands exactly where the steps are without really having to think about it. So that's my take on it. I think that's really important. Even though we are definitely um, leading the charge in terms of building the infrastructure, electronically, you know, for private, safe, secure handover of uh, clinical information and um, and also reporting back and really just getting that whole healthcare system actually cooperating around the interests of a client. There is a bit of a way to go. There's still a lot of systems that um, aren't connected, you know, into that. And also there's um, innovation that needs to continue to build that out through the idea of um, immersing your healthcare service into the lives, the schedules, the goals and aspirations of your, of your client. 
you know, mm-hmm. and I think we're, we've got a long way to go there. But um, we've got the intention, I think, where we merge health tech and leadership in the space, mm-hmm. then um, that's where the power of unlocking it all comes about. So I think um, that's a really important role that you play, Tash, in uh, in the sector. So really appreciate your thoughts and telling us a little bit about your consulting services and how you support private practices, particularly in the mental health space. So thank you very much, Tash. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.